Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunez, and today we got Tim Maxwell joining the show right after a very Kangsy loss in Memphis, 128-101, to and that score might not even do justice on how bad this game was. Um, how, how are you doing after watching that one, Tim? Man, that was a blowout from the what opening tip, basically. Kings went down 11-0. I think they fought back like what 15 11 or something like that 15 not something like that. They pulled within like 5. They kept it sort of close through the beginning of the second quarter and then it was just blowout city. There was a second half of garbage time. That's all if you didn't watch the game, don't watch the game. Just listen to this episode twice or something to fill that time. But yeah, I have no feelings other than utter disgust for the effort that was put forth. Yeah. Um to set the stage a little bit, the Kings were missing some significant players. Three of their starters, if you want to call Mo Harkless a starter, um, and those are Rashawn Holmes, who was out with an illness, Harrison Barnes, who was out with a right foot injury, and Maurice Harkless was out with a left knee injury. Alvin Gentry did say that all of those guys are are day-to-day and could be back really at, at any point here. There's no long-term um, concerns with those guys, but Missing three starters, I, I think starting with Barnes and Harkless, I mean, specifically Barnes, like Barnes has been the guy for since he's come to Sacramento to average the most minutes on this team. And I think part of what we saw, um, you know, they, they did well against the Lakers, although the Lakers, I think, did a poor job of taking advantage of the Kings. But what we really saw is just how thin they are on the wing, you know, like if all of a sudden the starting lineup is Terrence Davis and Chemezi Metu as well. And then Marvin Bagley's playing your backup. You threw Lou King out there, which like you said, a whole second half was garbage time. And uh, I think Omer had a tweet about uh, Lou King made the most threes and all he played was garbage time minutes. And I wouldn't say all he played was garbage time minutes, but I think it's funny that like that statement is close enough to true and Lou King played 21 minutes. Um, so just says something about this game. So yeah, while I am making excuses with these injuries, um, like I, I think they're notable, the energy that Sacramento came out with is just unexcusable. I mean, we saw it, it's very reminiscent to me of the San Antonio game, the other game that a team put up, um, upwards of 120 on the Kings. And aside from the triple overtime we just saw against the Lakers, and it's just I don't know what you're supposed to point to. I mean, we've seen physicality being an issue, um, being pushed around and just not coming out with energy. Like pregame, Gentry was like, you know, um, obviously we had a big game against the Lakers that that they pulled through and guys are going to be tired. Fox played upwards of 50 minutes. Um, there were two other guys that played right around that range. But he also was like, you know, Memphis, even though they don't have jaw, they just got smacked last their last game against Atlanta. So we're expecting them to come out with some real energy here, like any team would do after they just got smacked on their home court and have another chance at home. So Gentry was well aware going into this. I would have to assume that the players were well aware going into it that expecting Memphis to come out with a lot of energy. They are a physical team. And if they were aware, which I'd assume they were, they just they didn't match that in the slightest. Like from the jump, they got bullied pushed around lack of effort it's embarrassing they got punked i mean like truly and fully and anyone who's played sports at any level sometimes you go out to a game and you just get punked and that's what happened to the king's night and 
if I if I look at this game like before the game started and I go, okay, we're missing two key starters and then a starter-ish guy. The Grizzlies are missing their one star player, right? Like that's their one, that's the the engine of their offense. That's that's their guy, right? John Moran's been incredible this season. I go, okay, I, I would probably expect the Kings to lose this game because I don't think their roster is as good or is as deep as Memphis. I don't think they're as well coached as Memphis. Um, so if, if the Kings had walked in tonight, walked in tonight, lost by 11, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's fine. They got destroyed from the opening tip, opening tip. And I, I think the most frustrating thing to, to me is that the Kings shot horribly tonight. Like, I don't know what the exact numbers are. I can look it up real quick. Um, they shot 30 97 from the field, yeah, 34%. Yeah. yeah no, it's okay. And nine of 42 from three point range, 21.4%. So a lot of people will look at those numbers and go, Hey, listen, tired legs, short rotation. We're already, you know, lacking depth at the wing. And I get all that. Again, if we go into the game and we shoot terribly and we lose, I get it. I'm, I'm really not that upset. The Kings didn't play a damn bit of defense, not a damn bit. Tyrese Halberton and De'Aaron Fox let anyone walk into the paint with leisure and hit layups and layups and lay. I mean, it was atrocious. It it wasn't like we're tired. They just didn't give a damn. Like and and that's where I'm upset with the Kings because you want to shoot poorly because your legs are tired. I get it. You want to lose because you're missing two key guys. I get it. But if you just don't try, that's unacceptable. That's where that's where things fall apart on a season wide level, not just on a game to game level, but if your effort is gone, then you're going to very quickly lose out on the season. The Grizzlies outscored the Kings 72 to 36 in the paint, 72 to 36. They doubled them up and the, and the Kings had like a close to an average points in the paint performance there with 36, a little bit below average Grizzlies won the, the uh, fast break points, 20 to 10, um, Rebounds they won, yeah, 68 to 49. And the Kings shot 17 more free throws. They shot 37 free throws. They shot 37. 37. That's a lot. That's that's 10 per quarter, man. That's that's not a small that that's got to be close to a season high, or you know, it's it's up there. That's not nowhere near average for the Kings. So, like the offensive opportunities weren't there and they didn't take advantage of them. And I understand that tired legs, short rotation. We already, I already said that when you just don't try on defense and the Kings did not try on defense outside of, you know, Tristan Thompson gives effort. I think Metsu gives effort, although not successfully. I think obviously Davion Mitchell, Alex Len, I think tries hard. Although I think he only played like six minutes tonight. Wasn't really the game for him. Um, you're just going to lose and you're going to lose badly. And you should feel badly. So I, I'm upset about the defense. I don't care about the offense. Throw it out the window. I don't care. But I think the defensive effort of this team tonight was was despicable. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the offense was fine. Like, they, they shot poorly. It's not it, – it wasn't good, but that's not the reason that they lost this game. I, I kind of um, asked Buddy post game also, you know, it was a tough game all around. What did you think of the offense and the defense? Like, which way – Felt like more of an impact. He he himself said he thought the offense was fine. Um, you know, didn't hit shots, but it came down to the defense. And yeah, the, I mean, thirty-seven free throw attempts. They averaged twenty-two on the year. The most they had in any other game was thirty-four against Portland, and then twenty-nine a couple different times throughout the year. And it's worth noting they only hit twenty-six of them. Um, but yeah, anyways, like I said, they they could have played better on offense, but I thought they were fine on that end. 
Um, but the defense, yeah, I mean, you mentioned how many points in the paint that we saw from Memphis. That's a career high for many opponent. I mean, a uh, season high, season high, 68 rebounds for the opposition, which I think some of that has to do with the Kings just missing a lot of their shots um, compared to Memphis making most of theirs. Um, they converted 48% of their 104 attempts. Um, yeah, I mean, Terrence Davis said after the game that, you know, I asked about like perimeter containment compared to rotations. Like, where did you see the issues coming from? And he just said, you know, it comes down to just really wanting it, which is so horrible to hear. Like, I mean, as much as we can sit here and point at the roster construction being janky, lopsided, uneven, whatever wording you want to do, there is something to what we've heard of, you know, McNair said after they let go of Walton, like we've seen this team play better. And we've seen this, especially when you're talking about what we saw in this Memphis game, we've seen this team play so much better. They don't have great talent when it comes to perimeter creation, but they don't have talent that should be getting blown by, by Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, and DeAnthony Melton, like no disrespect to those guys, but these aren't some crazy perimeter creation guys that should just be getting whatever they want against De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, Terrence Davis. I, I don't understand where who who to point at at this point um it's it's a mess it, it's an absolute mess um gentry ended up pulling all of his starters three minutes into the third quarter because they were down 24 at halftime and then came out and had a super low energy level after that um fox was passing up a lot of shots i think he got blocked twice within those three minutes and it, it's just like you're down 24, you're already getting embarrassed. You have a chance to bring it back with Memphis missing their star. And we've seen Sacramento have runs this year. And then you still come out after halftime and just play horribly. Um, I don't know what to point to it at this point. Like this team got punked. Like you said, they, I, I would understand them having a label as kind of pushovers and probably comes back to needing leadership somewhere. If no, even if Rudy Gobert or Joel Embiid or whatever fantastic room protector you want to slot in for the Kings, even if they were on this team, this team would still be terrible defensively. I truly and well, and well believe that because the, the guards don't contain anyone except again, I'm going to, I'm going to, whenever I say that, just exclude Dave Van Mitchell automatically. We can all do that. Uh, but even he struggles through screens, but he's also a rookie. Um, it starts with De'Aaron Fox. And I, I'm not saying this game is on De'Aaron Fox, but this De'Aaron Fox doesn't try on defense. Like, he'll get a big matchup with a big player on a big night, and he'll step it up. And then the other four night, the other three games that week, nothing. Um, here's some stats for Fox. Uh, of the 56 players who have defended at least 225 field goal attempts this season, De'Aaron Fox ranks 55th in defensive field goal percentage. Of the 130 players who have defended at least 50 field goal attempts, De'Aaron Fox ranks last in defensive field goal percentage. His opponents shoot 80% of the rim when defended by Fox. The Kings post a defensive rating of 115 with Fox on the floor and 97.1 with him off, a differential of 17.9, by far the worst mark on the team. Now, I do understand that Dave Van Mitchell is coming into the game for him, and obviously that's going to, you know, mess with his numbers on the on-off ratings, but Davion Mitchell is a negative seven on the defensive rating on-off, meaning the, the team is seven points better defensively with him on the floor. 
the team is 17.9 points worse with Fox on the floor defensively. So like there's still a huge gap there between their production and their numbers between Fox and Davion. Um, and a little bit to so, do with, you know, starters bench, but uh, I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to discredit your point no. or anything. I agree. That's Fox what I'm saying. Horrible there. Yeah. And like, I, I, you can't say, Oh, the Kings would allow 17.9 points fewer per 100 possessions. If Fox just never played, like that's not the point of that stat. The point of that stat is to say, the Kings get destroyed when Fox is on the floor defensively. And I, I don't want to take Tyrese Halliburton out of this out of this conversation either. His, his numbers aren't as bad across the board. Like he's not like bottom two in the league. Um he you know you know who was bottom two in the league last year was Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald like was last in like every category down the road defensively. And he has actually statistically not been as bad. Now he's also coming off the bench. Like you said, starters versus bench, there's other things at play there. Um but when you're starting point, your starting shooting guard contain no one on ball that wrecks your entire defensive game plan. So I'm not saying Harrison Barnes has been great defensively. I don't think he's been great. Um, Harkless has been fine. Holmes is a solid rim protector. I don't think he's like upper echelon by any means. And then when you're just, again, allowing people to just penetrate the paint whenever they want, when there's a hard screen set, you just give up on the play. Once, you know, how many times have you seen Fox turn the ball over in a live ball situation and then just stand at midcourt and watch the play progress as he just. There were two possessions in that Lakers game that I'm shocked didn't get talked about more where he, you know, we've seen chase down blocks from Fox. I I think that you could say that's not a signature skill, but like there's certain guys that do that certain guys that don't, I think Fox falls into the former. Like we've seen multiple chase down blocks from Fox and it was just like, he's, at the same level as these Lakers players in transition. And then he just lets them walk right into a layup. Like, yeah, I, I mean, to, to your point and sorry to interrupt you, like his defensive effort has been horrible. People have talked about his concerns on offense and I somewhat understand, but I haven't been too worried. All of my concerns would be on the defensive end. Yeah. I mean, it, if you're cornerstone player, you're a max guy, you're, you're head of the snake, the point guard, like, it's like a quarterback in football. He's the guy. He's he's the guy. The Kings don't have another guy. They really don't. Tyrese Halliburton has not stepped up to his to that role at that point, and he's a second year player. I wouldn't expect him to. Davion Mitchell's coming off the bench, but he's coming off the bench. We all know he's not that guy. You go down the line. The Kings don't have another guy. Darren Fox is the one A, one B, two A, two B, two C option on this team, and if he just doesn't give a damn on defense, why should the rest of the team? And and frankly, I think the rest of the team tries harder than him everyone so say, this is this is the issue is that like you look at Halliburton or like Halliburton is going to struggle on ball because of his physical limitations um you know lateral quickness and strength buddy healed is just doesn't have a great defensive understanding at times but he's trying his ass off like the these other guys have reasons aside from effort that I think is holding them back and Fox is the one you point out where you're like, you should be a way better defender than you have been. And I think there's some aspect where I'm willing to be like, you know, a pos- possessions here and there because you carry a heavy load on the offensive end. And especially if we're going for the super high paced offense, like you get a couple of those. But the extent that we have seen it is like, yeah, the the issue is that the other guys have other reasons aside from effort that's holding them back on defense. And that feels like, the primary reason for Fox. And I don't know what you would point at after that. Like Fox feels like he should be a really good point of attack defender. And he's just not at all. 
I'm going to steal something from Jill Edge that she she talked about this team, and I'm going to apply it to Deer and Fox. She always just says, just be average defensively because you're all right offense, right? Like your offense is solid. Just be average defensively, and you can make the playoffs. I'm going to apply that same same principle to Deer and Fox. I don't need you to be a good defender. Like I don't need you to be Drew Holiday or Davion Mitchell or whoever we want to throw out there. Um, I just need you to be like average to below. Don't don't get us killed. Be average, even be like a little below average. And as long as you're carrying the offensive load, we're cool. Like that's, that's, and I, I know this is a great player, but that's like where Steph Curry had to get to, right? Like he was a, an amazing offensive player and he just needed to get to like below average defensively. And you know, that, that just took that team to another level. And you can go down the line of, of point guards. Um, there are plenty of guards in this league that are terrible defensively and are good offensively and their teams don't find the success that they hope to. And and that's where Darren Fox needs to recognize. I I don't need you to stop Damian Lillard on every possession down the floor. I don't need you to become this wizard. I don't need you to become Gary Payton. I just need you to not be terrible. And if if he could just recognize that, and maybe he does recognize it, and I I don't know what the issue is, but if that could just happen, I think this team would be in another place defensively. I think you would see everyone else step it up a, not, a notch because we've seen it, right? We've seen Darren Fox get intense on the defensive end. All of a sudden, the Kings are playing shutdown defense or something close to it. And the whole team gets a different vibe when Darren Fox lets his man just blow by him, you know, 25 feet from the hoop. What are you going to do now? You're playing four on five and you're frustrated. So yeah, I mean, just be average or even blow average. Just don't be terrible. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it certainly helps. I don't know that it makes like that big of a difference though. Like, I, I think it's very fair for us to sit here and point at Fox as a guy that needs to be better. I mean, he's $170 million guy. Um, and the, franchise guy on this team like I think it's I think we have every reason to point at his effort issues on the defensive end I do think that like Fox getting like slightly below average or average doesn't change that much like I, I think the effort idea is is what you're you're going with right which I understand yeah and it doesn't solve the problems with this team like it doesn't magically make us like a contender but it would just if we're talking about like the defensive issues, effort issues of this team, I, I think that would help. It's not, it's not a, it's not a, like it wouldn't solve all the problems. If you're, if you're playing certain guys 30 minutes a game and they're not good defensively aside from Fox, then your defense isn't going to be good, but I, I would just, you know, trying to build something, I guess. Yeah, no, certainly helps. Certainly helps. Um, I'm just trying to make sure it doesn't come off. And I know you're not saying this as like, we're saying, you know, all the defensive uh, issues with this team are on De'Aaron Fox. Um, no, most of them are. Most of them are on Monty McNair, but that's probably a conversation for another day. Yeah. So, but I, you know, need more from Fox. Like if it's, yeah, you, you got punked and yeah. Um, I, I think another interesting parallel with like the Curry comparison for Fox and only talking about when it comes to like team construction, there's nothing to do with these, with their skill sets or anything, but like you don't see Curry as, the I'm going to say leader of the team, even though I understand this might be poor wording, like the heart of that Warriors team. The reason they don't get punked is Draymond Green, but Curry is far and away the best player on that team. And like, I think that that can be a situation in Sacramento. I'm not saying Fox is ever Curry level or anything like that, but it doesn't have to come from Fox. Fox also can't be somebody that's not putting in effort like, he has been and that's why we're criticizing him the way that we are but i think that it can come from other aspects on the team um it, it can't come from a guy that's 
only playing spotty minutes in Iman Shumpert, uh, Tristan Thompson. It has to come from a guy that is like closing games. And I think that's the difference. Um, obviously, ideally, you have it coming from your top guy. But I don't think it has to be that case. And I think at some point, kind of just like I'm starting to accept that maybe this just isn't Fox's personality when it comes to being like the vocal leader of this team in a way that, you know, he's going to give all his guy, he's going to rally the troops when he feels like they're getting punked. Like, I, I think he could be doing that more often, but I think it also could be coming from other aspects. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely understand and am with you on all the criticism on Fox on the defensive end, especially in this Memphis game. It was just horrific. And like I said, he played about three minutes in the second half before he got pulled and Gentry didn't like throw Fox under the bus or anything like that. Um, at least him specifically in post game. I mean, obviously he was unhappy with their overall effort levels from everybody. Um, but yeah, he said uh, when it came to pulling Fox about nine minutes left in the third and then not playing him again, it was just one of those games where, um, you know, they're getting blown out and he saw it as um, smarter to maybe take Fox out of there considering he played 50 minutes two nights ago. But yeah, I mean, you, you definitely need him to be better. Halliburton is a guy that has done really well off ball defensively, but I think when he's directly involved in the actions really struggles on that end. Um, he had five steals against the Lakers, but then obviously in this one in Memphis, he was part of the problem on the defensive end. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know where you point to with, with these effort issues. Like, yes, you're missing three of your probably four best defenders on this team. And I understand that's a part of it, but certainly, like you said, I mean, I'd understand if they lost this game, the way that they lost this game is absolutely inexcusable. No NBA team should, should have a performance like this. And I think there was a lot of hope that, you know, with, I mean, a lot, Walton was a scapegoat for a lot of this. And I think it's just exposing that the issues go deeper. Like I understand moving on from Walton, I think it's a, it was a good idea it is a good idea, but it's just very apparent if it wasn't already that the issues go deeper than that. Yeah. I mean, I, I tweeted something similar to this, but like good team or bad teams sometimes play well, bad teams sometimes play hard, bad teams sometimes go on little runs, but it's never sustainable. And I don't know if I'd call the Kings a bad team. I guess we can call them like a below average team, whatever we, whatever you want to label them. They're not a good team. And so, you know, the Rockets have won two straight and you can't look at the Rockets and go, oh yeah, that, that's, they're coming up. Like, in, you know, I'm not saying the Kings are Rockets level bad, but like, you know, I, I think if I can maybe say it this way, I think the Grizzlies game was um, more representative of this team than the Lakers game, because I think the Lakers game was the exception to the rule when it comes to this team and effort and, and pushing hard and doing all those things. Um, but yeah, there, there's a leadership gap, no doubt. And like you said, you, you can't, you, your leadership can't come from a Tristan Thompson, a Shumpert, a Garrett Temple, uh, a Kent Bazemore. Like this needs to be a, a core guy. And maybe Davion Mitchell can become that in the next few years, but I don't think the Kings in this core can afford waiting a few years um, for that to happen. And, and they clearly don't want to play the three guard lineup. With, like the three guards. I mean, we've seen a lot of three guard lineups, but I'm talking Fox Halliburton and Davion. Do you think it's do you think it's just a lack of other point guards? Um, I mean, partially, but I also think that like they think that re that lineup rebounding is horrific because none of those guards rebound at a decent rate. Like Buddy rebounds okay. Terrence Davis rebounds okay. Um, so I think that's to me it's more of that, that like you need at least one good rebounding guard. Um 
yeah, I mean, that's what, at least when Walton was still around, he said that that's the reason that we weren't going to see that lineup until rebounding would increase from other aspects. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just, yeah, if Davion's going to be your guy, I mean, it's hard for him to find a spot in the closing lineup right now. Yeah, let me let me throw something at you that Tony Zapteris brought up. His 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 whole thing with three guard lineup because I think he's he's maybe the biggest proponent of the three guard lineup of, of anyone at Kings Herald or maybe anyone in the Kings media. Um, his whole thing is listen, you suck at rebounding. You you have sucked at rebounding no matter what you've done. You are 29th in defensive rebounding. You you are terrible at it. You're always going to be terrible at it. So if you're going to be terrible at it, play your five best guys and just get weird. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I think it's just an interesting perspective of we're throwing Tristan Thompson and Marvin Bagley and Rashawn Holmes and Alex on the court, and we still can't get a damn rebound. So I don't know. I I, I don't. I, w- I would throw them out there for five minutes and see what happened. I'm I'm with you. Um, when I had Dane Moore on here, who covers the Timberwolves after they played that game, Timberwolves were the only team that rebounds worse than the Kings. Um, and he was like, you know, it's interesting to hear that. Walton at the time, uh, his philosophy was, okay, we're going to put Metu out there as a way to change this up because we need to fix the rebounding. When he was saying that Chris Finch's philosophy would be that, you know what, these guards just have to rebound better because we're going to stick to making sure that what we do good um, is a focal point rather than taking away from what we do good just to do, just to like jump from 30th to 27th in opposing offensive rebounds. And I think that's, you know, what the, the point that Tony has, and I I'm with it. Um, I, I think that's one difference we've heard in like what Gentry has been saying is that with Walton, it was a lot of, you know, this is what we need to clean up. And with Gentry, it's been a lot of like, we need to run our best asset is speed and we need to up the pace. And it's like, Gentry clearly thinks that that is what this team does well and is trying to get them to do what they do well more often when with Walton, it felt like he was trying to lessen their mistakes, which, you know, I understand that like both is happening at all times with NBA teams, but I think just figuring out what this team does well, and if that's going to be pace and speed, which I understand, then yeah. at, At what point do you fully embrace that? It's like these guards just need to, focus on boxing out and securing these rebounds. And, you know, we're going to be willing. We're going to understand that we're going to struggle on that end, but we're going to make it up with some transition opportunities or increased three-point shooting on the other end. Um, And and three-point shooting is something that I do want to talk about. I feel like every time I have you on, actually, I end up spending a good second talking about three-point shooting. Everybody on this team has a green light from three. Um, You know, we've, We've heard that talked about a little bit from the coaching staff, but not to not exactly sure to what extent, but it feels like if there's 18 seconds on the clock and Chemezi Metu is like semi guarded that he's able to shoot that. Um, and, and I don't mean to single out Chemezi. I'm just using him as an example here. You could say the same thing with Harkless, with Bagley, with Fox even. Um, and it's just like, I understand this team lacks shooting, especially when you take Harrison Barnes out. Right. The only high level shooters are Tyrese Halliburton and, and Buddy Heald. And Terrence Davis should be. He hasn't been though. Um, so I understand that like you kind of need to get those shots up in order to keep defenses honest. But I almost wonder if we're going too far into like we see so much variance on if shots go down on a given night, which is just basketball, but it feels more extreme with this Kings team. And I wonder if it's just because this level of green light that we've seen like even before Walton left the pace numbers were really good 
but they weren't really getting out in transition. And I think the pace numbers were at a good level because they're getting up. They're willing to put up shots early in the shot clock. Um, and they're like average three point looks like, I don't know. Do you, do you ever spend, do you ever see some of these three point opportunities? And like, I do sit there and think like, man, that was a good look. That was a decent look, but at what point do we need to start passing up good for great looks? Stop shooting so many threes. That's my piece. Like, I don't mean to sound old school. I'm really not an old school basketball guy. Chimezi Metu took six three-pointers tonight. Six. No, <clears throat> please don't do that. Like, he played 23 minutes. Six three-pointers. He was 0 of 6. So I'll, I'll read you some stats here. Chimezi Metu is shooting 25.5% on 4.7 attempts per game this year. Fox is shooting 25.8% on 4.4 attempts per game this year. Terrence Davis is shooting 22.6% on 4.1 attempts per game this year. Davion Mitchell is shooting 26.8% on four attempts per game this year. Metu, Fox, Davis, Mitchell, Harpquist, and Bagley are combining to average 5.3 three-point makes on 21.4 three-point attempts per game. It's 24.7%. Now, I know all those guys don't always play all the same minutes, and it's not like that's happening every game. It's terrible. It's terrible. Now, again, part of it's on roster construction, which we always go back to because it's part of like the underlying foundational issue with this team. But as you said, everyone has a freaking green light. I feel like we're in like third grade, like rec league ball um, at La Sierra, for those of you that played at La Sierra. And you're just like, yeah, no, go ahead. Like everyone gets to play and everyone gets to participate. And it's like, stop, stop. Chimezi Metu, stop shooting, please. Please stop shooting the three ball. Please, like, don't shoot another one this season, and I'm a happy man. Because he's a career 30% three-point shooter. Aside from last year, he had really never taken threes before. He's down to, whatever, 25% this year. It's it's unacceptable. And like you said, the Kings constantly pass up good shots for okay shots. The only exception to that is Tyrese Halliburton, who constantly passes up good shots for okay shots. He's, he's the reverse uh, which he needs to work on. But no, I, I have a big issue. I have a big issue with the way Walton ran the team in trying to make everyone happy offensively. I don't know if Alvin Gentry's kind of falling into the same category or, I mean, I know he's at some point, I think he talked about shooting more threes or making more threes or, or I know he talked about Harrison Barnes taking more threes, but it's like Harrison Barnes three point attempts have significant, significantly decreased over the second half of this portion of the season. He was averaging over six per game over the first nine games. And over the second nine games, he was averaging like three and now his percentages went down, but that's that that's still indicative of poor decision making on the king's part because Harrison Barnes for his entire career has been a very good three-point shooter and for his career on the in Sacramento especially he's been a great three-point shooter and so what the kings are doing is they're sacrificing Harrison Barnes attempt Harrison Barnes attempts for Chemezi Metu and Darren Fox and Terrence Davis and Davion Mitchell and that is just foolish it doesn't work like if you want to give Chemezi Metu one or two threes per game if you want to give Marvin Bagley one or two threes per game if Mo Harkless jacks up a three per game I don't really care but when these guys are almost five attempts per game, some of them, it's it doesn't work. Like you're taking away good shot attempts from your good shot makers. It's like when Buddy Hill drives the ball, and we're like, Buddy, like you're bet you're you're good at other you're better at other things, right? So like every time Buddy Hill drives the ball, I know he's been okay recently, but he's taking away a better shot from De'Aaron Fox, or he's taking away a three point attempt from himself, or whatever it is. And this is the same thing with these these reckless three point attempts. Um, and once you miss three three-point attempts and the other team has scored, you know, a couple of buckets off of those missed threes, all of a sudden you find yourself in a deficit or your lead, you know, shrinking. And that's what the Kings have faced this season. So I'm, I'm 100% with you. 
every time I see one of these threes with 17 seconds left in the shot clock with someone within three feet, um, I, I just I kind of want to cry, to be honest with you. I don't, but I kind of want to. Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, the Barnes thing specifically really stands out to me. I, I think I, I wrote about it, probably mentioned it on the pod a couple times. I'd be surprised if I didn't that. Yeah, I mean, you pointed out the um, increase in field goal attempts and three-point attempts specifically. Walton said that he wants him getting up at least six a game. That was happening at the beginning of the year. It felt like Barnes could average 20 points per game this year. He was keeping his efficiency. Um, the efficiency was a, was a little ridiculous. It was going to come down to, back to earth. But, yeah, I mean, when he slowed down, which he actually started slowing down before Walton even was moved on from, it, it was just like, why? And I don't understand. And you know, Walton was saying, uh, I need to do a better job getting him more opportunities, but that was Walton's go-to answer whenever anybody was criticized for their, any player was questioned about their aggressiveness on the offensive end. Um, I know Gentry has said that he wants Harrison getting up somewhere in the range of eight threes a game. Um, so it's like the coaching staff obviously wants that from Harrison specifically. And yeah, but at the same time, you you got to look at them and and be like, okay, well, why isn't HB doing this? Like, we we've seen him willing to do it. Maybe it's a it's a thing with Harrison individually. Um, but the issue the issue goes beyond Harrison. Um, you know, the shooting on this team is is Buddy Harrison and Halliburton. And I think Halliburton's another guy. Um, you you went through all those numbers there where Halliburton should be getting up. Halliburton shot one three in this game. He shot the ball four times. Um, only played twenty minutes. He was another guy that hardly played in that second half. But you're going to shoot the ball from range one time after shooting 40% from three last year. Like we heard Fox earlier in the year, um, you know, somewhat jokingly, like encouragingly of Halliburton, not criticizing him, have his fun press conference quote of, I'm telling him to shoot the fucking ball that Halliburton needs to be shooting. He is a 40% shooter. He said Halliburton can be one of the best shooter, three point shooters in the league this year. And he's just not getting it up from range. Um, he five of nine from three against LA. That's great. It's triple overtime game. Also, he played 47 minutes, one of six against Portland. That's a fine amount of attempts. I guess you, he still should be shooting the ball in the more than nine times. Um, Oh, of three in that game against Philly, which he was one of just the, what is happening here? He shot the ball five times in 33 minutes. Like, I just don't understand why there is, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six different occasions this year where Tyrese is shooting the ball less than 10 times. And we, we just need more aggressiveness from him as well. Like there are guys that the shooting overall, and I think you did a great job of, of explaining it. And I agree with you just needs to be cleaned up. Um, but also there's a lack of shooting and it's like the guys that do shoot buddy, I'm frustrated with, but I guess you live with some of those it, to an extent i'd like to see it toned down but whatever but halliburton and barnes like shoot the damn ball from three more be more confident in that um barnes was very much so at the beginning of the year halliburton has not been i don't know if it's something with defenses are closing out a little bit harder like i think that's happening but does his shot form being low and maybe a little bit slower make it more difficult for him to shoot when he is contested compared to other players or like shooting behind screens. Does that have an impact? I don't know. Um, but those guys need to be shooting more. Um, I, I do have a clip here. I actually asked Gentry post game again after Memphis of what he thought about the amount of threes that they got up in this game um, compared to driving the paint, driving to the paint a little bit more. 
Um, so here, here was Gentry's response to that balance. Well, I think when we attack the basket, we open up uh, situations for three-point shooting. And uh, uh, tonight, you know, we did okay with that. You know, the, the, the threes that we got up, you know, some of them are very good shots, you know, now we had a couple of questionable ones too, but, uh, you know, we, we, out of the 42 threes that we're taking them, probably 32 of them were, were, were really good shots that we're capable of making, making, we did not make them, uh, which puts extra pressure on your defense. And, and we weren't able to keep them in front of us. Just, just being honest, you know, they, they were in the paint most of the night. And I think when they do that, that's just putting added pressure on you. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's saying that 10 of the 42 were not great. And I think it's like, you know, there was a lot of really shitty attempts at the end of that game. And I think that there is, it is notable, obviously, like the focus of this game was defense. And I think Gentry just didn't want to spend too much time harping on the offense. I don't think that he, I would guess he wasn't exactly satisfied with their offensive performance, but I, I think that he wanted to make it clear that the issue on this one was defense. But what did you think he, about what he had to say about that three point shooting? I don't agree. Um, Gentry has obviously a much brighter basketball mind than me, uh, but an open shot is not a good shot. And I think that's like the two terms we conflate a lot with three point shooting. Like, Oh, it was a good, it was a good, like, you know, sometimes when the Kings struggle it, myself, others will tweet like something like, Oh, the Kings are getting good shots or they're just not hitting. Right. Like that's, that's a very common phrase in basketball, but like open doesn't mean good. Chemezi Matu taking an open three pointer is if, in my book is not good. It's not a good result. It's not because he doesn't make them. De'Aaron Fox shooting an open three to me is not a good result. It's not necessarily a bad result. It just depends on the situation. Terrence Davis, Davion Mitchell, these guys taking these threes, Marvin Bagley, Mo Harkless, these are not good shots because they're not good percentage shots. They're, they're open maybe. like Maybe maybe the offense did what it was supposed to do, right? Maybe there was a drive and a kick out and a swing pass and a skip pass and it hit someone in the corner and they launched a three and it was wide open. But if it's Chemezi Metu, wide open in the corner taking a three and I'm not trying to pick on him the entire time. One, any one of these guys that is struggling Harkless, with the percentages. Metu, Harkless, yeah. Metu, whoever. Right. Like, honestly, even Davion Mitchell, like he's not shooting the ball well. De'Aaron Fox, if he's dribbling up, whatever it is, even if the offense functions correctly to produce what is supposed to be like a planned three point attempt, that means the offense went well. But if it goes to the wrong player and that wrong player pulls the trigger, then you just did all that work for nothing. And that's that's where I kind of disagree. Now, obviously, I don't know which 10 shots um Alvin Gentry's thinking about maybe he's like, man, Chemezi took six threes tonight. I hate all six of those. I hope he never takes a three again, and that's six of the ten. I don't know, but yeah, th there's there's difference between good and open. There's a difference between your your offense operating at a high level and you getting a good result from that offense operating at a high level. And I think maybe that's just where the Kings are missing the point. Like the the point of offense isn't to get an open shot. The point of offense is to get a good shot, and those are not necessarily the same thing. I would rather Darren Fox take a contested layup than Chemezi Metu or Mo Harkless, or one of these other guys, take a three-pointer. I would rather Buddy Heald take a three-pointer that you don't prefer and I don't prefer than, again, one of these guys, frankly, taking an open three-pointer because Buddy Heald probably shoots a better percentage on bad threes than these guys do on open threes. Um, so, yeah, I, I, might, I might fight back a little bit on this. Like, early in the shot clock, I'm with you. Like, very early in the shot clock, but... I don't know. Like, I mean, they haven't been good shooters, but for example, like Metu, Davion Mitchell, um, 
Harkless is a little different, but say Bagley, like those guys are sh- supposed to be good shooters. Like I think if you're Where's difference between open and wide open, right? But I, context matters, right? Like if if there's six seconds left in the shot clock and that's what your offense produced, yeah, jack up the three, right? Like you're saying, like 18 seconds, it's a different matter. But like there is no evidence that Mo Harkless, Marvin Bagley. Or Chemezi Metu are good shooters. Zero. Like Marvin Bagley shot like 34% from three one year. Metu shot 35% last year on like 40 attempts. Harkless is a career not good three-point shooter. Like if 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 we want to throw Terrence Davis and Davion Mitchell out of the mix, that's fine. But there there is a certain thing to say if we say these guys are supposed to be shooters or these guys are theoretical stretch bigs or, or whoever we're speaking of, if they don't hit threes consistently, they're not stretch bigs and they're not. And that's just kind of where I land. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm being too harsh on the evidence because Chemezi Metu, you know, last year shot 35% on about the same number of attempts he's missed most of his shots this year. But I, again, context matters four seconds, six seconds, eight seconds left in the shot clock. That's what your offense produces. I get it. Um, but yeah, I just, it, none of these, between Harkless, Bagley, and Metu, all these forwards that are supposed to be like stretch forwards, none of them have a history of hitting threes, right? Aside from Harkless hitting them at a low rate. Yeah, I, I think the other aspect of it, um, you, you're absolutely right, is that like, they kind of have to though, right? Not have to hit them at a good rate, like obviously you want that, but they kind of have to be shooting, right? Like, I mean, this is a whole broader issue of why they're trying to avoid avoid half court offense because they suck in the half court for partially this reason. And when you're in transition, you're not dealing with these same issues. But like these fours kind of have to shoot, right? Like I, I think that's that's a aspect of this is that like Jay Crowder, right? A guy that is like the prime example of you're going to have a decent amount of volume, even if you're hitting it at like a slightly below average rate. And that's going to make you have a gravity out there and you're going to space the floor for that reason. And it almost feels like that's the logic that's being used, but obviously you don't want to have to use that logic on multiple guys throughout your lineup. But it it almost feels like to me that that is part of the logic here. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I'm I'm not really mad at Metu for taking these threes. Like that's that's what he's that's what they've told him to do, right? They're like jack up shots, so he's jacking up shots. That's total. I'm not mad at him. I'm not mad at Chemezi Metu that he's playing. Like he's not. He shouldn't be playing on a contender. I'm sorry. And again, I'm not trying to just pick on Metu. Harkless should not be starting on a contending team. Like there, there are fundamental flaws within this roster that I think exacerbate these issues that we're speaking of. And it's it's right. I know it's it's tiring to go back to well the roster's not that good or it's not that balanced. But like if you had Bielitsa, and I know that's a sore example, but that type of a player, then we wouldn't necessarily be having this conversation as as much. But we just have no stretch forwards outside of Harrison Barnes. So you are correct in that, you know, an average NBA offense is going to rely on outside shooting from the threes and fours, and we have one three or four that can shoot. And I I think that is a a major issue for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, Absolutely is. And it's coming to fruition. I mean, especially when... Barnes is out. Um, we've seen when any of Barnes and Buddy are off for a night when it comes to shooting, the, the team tends to struggle. And yeah, specifically, Buddy has a poor night, one of nine from three, um, five of 17 from the field and one of nine from three, while eight of his attempts were not from three. Um, I, I've liked a lot that he's driving more, but that that feels a, a lot more than what I'm used to for Buddy. Um, 
and and yeah, I think just to, just to get back because I think all the issues that we're talking about are completely valid. But I, I think that like to bring it back a little bit, we've seen the team be decent, and just to come back to the Memphis game, like there are all these issues that make the margin of air so much more slim, but the Memphis issue was just clearly effort hustle. Um, and the team got punked. Like you said, we heard, we'd heard Halliburton say that earlier in the year about, I don't remember what game, which is pretty sad that I don't remember what game, um, pretty telling, but that's where the issue is right now. And they just, I mean, the Kings next game is going to be at home against a Lakers team that you got to think is, is pretty annoyed to have just lost to that Kings team in triple overtime. And especially like, you know, I saw a Memphis fan or, or reporter tweet out that, wow, this Kings team beat the Lakers. And you would think that the Lakers saw what happened in this one. And it's like, wow, we just let that team beat us. And you think that we're going to let a team that just got lost by 30 to Memphis come and beat us for a second game in a row with their one loss in the middle being get blown, being getting blown out by 30. Like the Lakers are going to come out with some really good energy in this one. And the Kings need to also. Um, but we knew going into this Memphis game that Gentry, like I said, said beforehand that he knew Memphis was going to come out with energy and we didn't see that happen. Um, we'll see if any Barnes, Harkless or Rashawn Holmes come back. Obviously that would be a factor, but those guys playing all three of those guys playing probably I'd be shocked if it changes the outcome in what we saw in Memphis. Like sure. They're a very big impact. I don't mean to downplay that, but the roster was not the issue in Memphis as much as it is flawed. Absolutely. Yeah. We can talk about individual issues within offense and defense tonight. The team didn't, didn't have the heart in them to try and win this game. That's all it is. Yeah. I put out uh and, and you put out one as well, kind of like any sort of questions from Twitter following this um i should have known well i did know that a lot of these were not going to be very serious questions um but were there any that stand out to you i guess i want to address like anybody that's saying trade fox i'm not there like i just don't you don't trade if you're trading fox you're not getting back a player of equal value right now when it comes to contributions if you're willing to kind of reset sure if you're willing to move on from Fox, then you're moving, then you're following that up with Harrison, Rashawn, Buddy, and you're willing to kind of reset. Sure. I just don't see that happening. Like Fox is just starting a five year contract. Unless he asks out, I don't see any good reason to move on from him in my mind. Um, and, you know, even if you wanted to do a soft reset, like I said, Mar- Fox is here for five years. Unless he expresses to you that he wants out. You have time to soft reset and still work with Fox and Halliburton. Um, yeah, I mean, a, lo- a lot of the questions that I got on my end were, what do you think about Fox, Fox's trade value, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just, I- I'm still not there. As frustrated as I am for the reasons that we've mentioned, like I don't see how you get even equal value when it comes to contribution in the now. Yeah, the, the only like way I would consider trading Fox is for a comparable player or a better player. Um, Jalen Brown, Brandon Ingram. I'm not there with Ben Simmons yet, although I'm edging closer by the day, uh, by the game. Uh, but yeah, even even if, and this is something I talked about in the Kings Herald mailbag a little while ago, a couple days ago. Was it yesterday? Whenever it was. Um, 
if if I were blowing it up, I still wouldn't trade Darren Fox midseason. Because if I'm blowing it up, I'm trading Barnes, I'm trading Buddy, I'm probably trading Holmes. My team's going to suck anyway, so I'm going to get a good lottery pick. But I can't trade Fox for unknown picks and project players. If if I were to blow it up, which I'm not saying the Kings are going to do, you wait till draft night, you have guaranteed draft picks, you have you know, you you've got a lot more knowledge. And Fox is probably going to pick it up at some point during the season. Like if he doesn't, we're in a whole nother world of hurt that we hopefully never reach. He's probably going to pick up throughout the season. His trade value will increase. Yeah. Other than a Jalen Brown, a Brandon Ingram, that sort of player being available, which they're not. And those teams wouldn't trade those guys for Fox anyway. Um, I I'm not on, I like, I, I know there's, there's a lot of reaction out there, like trade Fox before it's too late. And it's like, before it's too late for what? Like, I, I don't think teams are like, an opposing general manager is not going to look at look at twenty games of struggle from Fox and go, "Oh man, this guy sucks." Now, now you know, top twelve ish point guard from the league last year. Now he's terrible. Now I think Fox has been bad. Like I would say straight up, he's been bad for a guy of his position and his, you know, money and all of those things. But it's probably going to turn like Fox can't really get much worse in a lot of ways. So he's probably going to get better. Um, and yeah, I, I wouldn't cash out on Fox if you will, unless it was for a like player. I'd be shocked if like this, this feels like the worst version of Fox. Like he's been better recently. I I do really believe that he's been better recently, but obviously it comes with the asterisk of he's been better while the team has played poorly. Um, And yeah, I mean, I I think there needs to be more playmaking. Like I think when it comes to his scoring that he's been fine, he was really good in those overtimes against the Lakers. Um, He's, he's going to that mid range shot a lot that I don't have too much of a problem with. Um, I I think that shot's going to be there for him. And if he can hit that at a good rate, that's a, that's a great thing for him. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. I don't see, I'm certainly not at trade De'Aaron Fox um, level or anything like that. And then I think the other kind of general question you see a lot is just like, is it time to move on from this core? Um, I'll, I'll let you start on that one. Everybody yes. has their own definition of core, but. So yeah, let me let me define my core. Maybe that's a good idea at first. So when I speak of core, people are like, well, Halliburton, Mitchell. I don't necessarily. I, I guess Mitch, Halliburton's in there, but like when I when I when I say the word core, I'm not talking about a young core because not every team has a young core that they're counting on. I don't think that's necessarily the best description. I think a core is your big minutes getters, in in my personal opinion. So you got Fox, uh, Halliburton. I guess you can throw in there now. Barnes, Heald, and Holmes. Fox, Buddy, and Barnes have 192 games together. And over those 192 games, they've won at a 34-win pace. Fox, Buddy, Barnes, and Holmes have played like 164, I don't have the number in front of me, games together, won at a 34-win pace. And this, this for the last, it's been a, almost a full three seasons of Fox, Buddy, Barnes. And two plus seasons of Fox, Buddy, Barnes, Holmes. And we have seen the same effort issues, the same defensive issues, the same uh, ready for games issues. They're on their third coach in their third season. Like, I I don't look at this core and see a very high ceiling. If I'm being just straight up with you, like I could see them making, I, I predicted at the start of the season, they would win. Like, I think I said like 39 to 41 games and they would be the 10th seed and they would make the play in tournament because we're pretending that the 10th seed is an accomplishment now. Although two years ago, we would have scoffed at the 10th seed or three years ago. So I think they could still make the play-in tournament. But other than that, like where where are you going to grow from here? Barnes isn't really going to get better. Holmes isn't really going to get better. Buddy's not really going to get better. So now you're counting on internal improvement from Fox, which is missing this year. 
internal improvement from Halliburton, which is missing this year, and from Mitchell, who obviously is a rookie, but Mitchell's offense has been, I think, worse than many of us hoped. And again, rookie, I'm not really worried about Mitchell at all. Um, so personally, I would say if you want to do a soft rebuild around Fox, I guess you can look at that. If you want to do a hard rebuild and just throw the whole thing in the fire and restart with Halliburton and Mitchell and, and maybe Fox as your core, um, I'm fine with that too. Like I, I don't have a strong opinion which path to take. I just don't think this is working. Even if it was just maybe trading Buddy Heald for like a, a long-term solution at the 3-4 spot and seeing That's if that works. And I, yeah, and I'm not saying Buddy Heald's the problem by any means. Like I think it's just like something needs to change because this this has been three seasons of the same bullshit. Three seasons of Harrison Barnes. And again, I'm not blaming him specifically coming out and saying, we just have to want it more. We just have to want it more. We just have to try harder. I'm trying to teach these guys. And it's like, again, I'm not mad at Harrison Barnes for saying those things, but it's like at some point it's either going to sink in or it doesn't. And thus far over 192 games, it has not sunk in. You could look at three seasons ago. You can look at today. And it's the same freaking issue with effort with heart with leadership whatever so i think a change needs to take place some people are going to say move one or two core pieces i'm fine with that some people are going to say a soft reset around fox i'm fine with that some people are going to say blow the whole thing up frankly i'm fine with that something has got it you you cannot like it if we leave the trade deadline with with these four or five guys in place i'd be shocked i would be not that surprised and here's why like (laughs) i don't think you're trading barnes i don't think you're trading fox and i don't think you're trading home so buddy's the guy right like buddy's gonna be like the next luke walton scapegoat and again i don't think a lot of this is on buddy healed by any means and who really wants buddy healed who really wants you know he had one he had one team looking at him this summer and that trade fell through and nothing since and you know he's been shopped for a while like this is not a secret that Buddy Heal doesn't meant long term for the Kings. So I I I I would be shocked if Monty McNair didn't try to change things up by the deadline, but I just I don't know if there's that much if there's that many teams out there like salivating for a chance at Buddy Heald. There's probably a couple. Do they have the salaries and the assets to match? Who the hell knows? So um yeah, that's that's I, just something's gotta change. Personally, I'd blow it all the hell up. Um, with maybe not Fox included in that. And, and as weird as this sounds, maybe not Holmes included in that, because I think it's really important to Tyrese Halliburton's development in the pick and roll uh, with him being such an elite pick and roll option. But I, I would at least look to retool around Aaron Fox at a minimum. Where are you at? Yeah. I'm not at a blow it up stage. Um, like Fox and Halliburton stay to me in, in any sort of situation outside of, you know, some ridiculous outliers. But to me, it's, I mean, Buddy's the one that stands out. Like, I agree with who you laid out as the core. And I think your issue is that your core there's are, are there's limitations that each one of these core guys or tough situations that these guys are placed in that are doing the opposite of optimizing their skill sets. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the word, but you should be optimizing these guys skill sets with the other core pieces around them in order to bring out the best of them. And We've actually seen the fit, the fit get worse with Buddy and now Davion there as well. Like those are the guys. If if I'm shopping around, like those are the two that I'm really looking at. Um, Harrison, I think, is very important to this team in the same way that Holmes is. So unless you're getting younger um, and, and willing to be a little bit more patient, which I don't mind, but I struggle to think that 
we're going to go in that direction with what we've seen. Um, if you're going to get younger, I don't mind doing that with those guys. I think that they both have probably really good value in the league with their contracts and their contributions. But to me, it's it's Buddy. Um, and I don't mind including Davion in something as well. Um, but like you mentioned, I don't know what the market is for Buddy. I mean, everything that we've read, seen is that Buddy's probably been on the market. I mean, what is it, two years in a row now, two and a half at this point? We've heard, like, I'd be surprised if Buddy made it to the deadline. I'd be surprised if Buddy made it through every, the offseason. Every time. It's the Buddy sweepstakes, and he over never and goes. Over. Yeah. And he almost went. I mean, which that deal is probably an outlier. Like, right. even, even outside of, you know, somebody wanting Buddy, but I think that return, I mean, L.A. clearly was like, we have to make a move. And those were the limited trade assets they were working with. They were like, this is the only way we make the team better is some combination of Kuzma, KCP, and and Montrezl Harrell. Um, And clearly they felt a need to make a move. And we're going to package those for somebody is what it seems like. And to me, it's like, okay, they look towards Buddy. That is an outlier situation because they caught a team that needed to make a move. And sure, that's going to come up down the line some other team's going to be in a similar situation but you're waiting for an outlier and there's a good chance that the same thing happens that we saw happen last um, offseason is that a team is desperate to make a move they have other options to do that Buddy's not going to more likely than not going to be the guy they look at and are like yeah that's the move that we need to make so at what what point though and this is just something I'll, I'll throw at you like let's say let's say the plan is to move buddy and even like that that package let's just say is in theory sitting out there at the trade deadline is this team going to make it to the trade deadline in any shape to make any sort of run like that's that's where i'm that's where i'm at because we're eight and 13 run pace for 31 wins we got the lakers clippers clippers coming up you're probably looking at 0 and 3 now you're on pace for 27 wins or 8 and 16 and then you got a little bit of an easy stretch. You got like the magic in there. You got a couple of like okay teams in there. And so you probably run 500 for a little while. But if you're running at 500, eight games under, like at some point that becomes unrecoverable. And I don't think they're there yet, but the trade deadline's what in like February, right? I don't, it's, it's getting yeah. So like you've got. I, I think my thing is that like we see these really bad streaks, but then we also see the hot streaks. And like if they can have an extended streak of playing good basketball, like hot is probably an overstatement. You know, we're talking, I guess, beginning of the year was freaking five and four that everybody is romanticizing, myself included. That's against really high level opponents. Like, I don't think it's crazy that we see a stretch of like seven and three, for example, including, you know, two or three wins against teams that we didn't expect. Like, that's the crazy inconsistency of this team. Like, I wouldn't rule out a promising stretch to kind of bring them back into things. But again, bringing it back into things is like the 10 spot, you know, that's the fear like that. I guess that's where I, I sit a little afraid that, you know, I think you mentioned it earlier, like like the 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 margin of error for this team is so slim. It's so slim. Like we walk into the season all kind of going, OK, if everything breaks right, we might hit the eighth seed. Right. And if things don't quite break right, maybe we're hitting the 10th. And if things don't don't hit right in general, then we're looking at bad. And so far even though we've been healthy until these last couple of games, nothing has gone right for this team. Like there was the five and four stretch and the one and nine stretch. And so that that's just where I go, man, I don't, 
I don't believe in this core. I really don't because they've had three seasons together and have done jack shit with it. So it's like, and, and uh, you know, everyone has different patience, right? Everyone has different lines that they draw in the sand of, okay, if, you know, I've talked to a lot of people in Ani McNair and they're like, okay, after this coming trade deadline, if nothing happens, then I'm going to be unhappy. And everyone has those different levels and those different lines. I, I'm at the point where I'm exhausted with this core because I have, I have given them 192 games and they do nothing but blow the big ones and win the small ones. And that's not what you need from your core. Um, if, if we're going to move buddy, I think we got to move him as close to December 15th as possible. Like that's when free agents unlock to be traded. And I don't know what other teams out there are looking for mm. with shooting. Um, do you have a concern though, that like buddy healed one of our two volume yes. good shooters. Like yes. what if, if you're trading him. No yeah. Yeah. Like absolutely. I do. If, even if you trade him for Kuzma and Harold, like, I think Kuzma's shooting. Oh, I think he's shooting like 35, 36% for three this year. I don't have the numbers in front of me. So apologies if I'm wrong there. Um, but like you're replacing 10, 11 three point attempts per game at a, at a 40% clip basically. And whoever you trade buddy for is not going to be that guy. So even if you trade buddy for defense or a younger player or a package of guys or a starting power forward, you just lost probably 50% of your good shooting off of this team, a team that already can't shoot. So okay, that's just where I go. Okay. If we're going to trade buddy and now we can't shoot even more and you're, you're probably not getting a buddy esque player back. You're probably getting a couple of guys, a la Kuzma and Harold who have, who have been really good this year for Washington. Um, your overall talent level has now decreased. Your shooting has decreased. Maybe your balance has gotten better, but like a, a better balanced, worse shooting, lower end talent team. I don't, I don't know if that gets you anywhere, but maybe yeah. it does. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe there's a great trade out there. And again, Monty McNair can make one great trade and solve a hell of a lot of problems for this team. It's just that great trade has to come along and he has to execute on it. So far, that trade great that great trade hasn't come along and he hasn't been able to execute on it. So it's like, man, just just waiting for one big move for multiple seasons. Like I mentioned this s- somewhere else. I don't remember where. Like the average GM tenure in the NBA is 30 months, and he's been in the job for 15. So like he's halfway through and the Kings have made, I'm making a zero sign. You can't see me right now. I'm glad you all can't see me. I look like a disaster, <laughs> but zero progress. The Kings have made zero progress. I truly believe that they are the exact same element of team as they were when he took over from body Divock. So you're halfway through. Are you those made months zero. extended a little because of like a weird timeline. I guess there was also short off seasons. Yeah. I, I mean, give the guy three years. I don't care. Like he's, yeah, he's a year plus into his tenure. He, he's had time and, in my opinion, in my humble or maybe not so humble opinion to some people out there, he hasn't made any progress. Like you swap out Bogdan Bogdanovich or Tyrese Halliburton, you swap out, you know, a couple other guys or a couple other guys, and you've got about the same talent level. And we haven't increased our assets either. So it's like, where where are we? Uh where where have we gone? Yeah. So that's that's my fear with just swapping out Buddy Healed for whoever we swap him out for, is we are basically the same team still, just with a different buddy healed level player. Um, my other question for you is if you if you retool in that you end up trading buddy healed for wh- whoever does this team have a number one option like a true uh, number one option well i mean fox is supposed to be that guy like i don't think that answer changes whether you, or not you move buddy that's kind of my point like i don't think darren fox is number one option like not on a contender so how am i getting the number one option that's that's kind of again that's like me hyperactively going down the line yeah and, like, and I don't know that there's like an answer for that on like any small market team, really. You know no, what I mean? Like, not an easy answer for sure. 
But I, I look at, you know, does blowing things up probably increase my chances of getting that number one option, even right. if I keep Fox? Right. I think it does. Um, yeah. And I, I'm, not, I'm not even like throw everything under the bus and like, you know, be the Houston Rockets and win four games this year. But like if you're gonna if you're gonna get the seventh pick, you may as well get the fourth pick. Right. Like that's kind of where I sit. And again, this team, like you said, they could go seven and three on a run. They could make me look stupid. And I hope they do. I hope this team gets to the ninth seed or the eighth seed. They could. It's just again such a such a thin line. I don't think I want to mess with that line right now. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of over it. Yeah, I mean, I think if they were willing to reset, and because you're right, the answer to you know where do you get your number one option? The answer is the draft. Um, outside of you know you see like a Chris Ball situation, which is a crazy outlier, and um, yeah, I mean your your answer is the draft, and I, I just don't think that we've. I, I doubt that they decide to go in that direction. I, I thought that made the most sense last year. We didn't see it happen. Um, yeah, moving on from Buddy and losing his shooting is a real concern, like you pointed out. And I think the other aspect, um, I, and whatever you're talking about here, like the way that you're pointing at McNair um, is the way that, and the way that I have, and I think a lot of media members are starting to ha- have been and are starting to even more. The fan base is just going to continue to do that. And I think the pressure is going to keep rising on McNair. Like I, I think that he can't just do nothing at this deadline. Like if he does, it wouldn't surprise me. And this isn't sourced in any sort of way or anything like this that, you know, he's moved on from at the deadline because there's been absolutely zero progress for two straight years, or I'm sorry, moved on from in the off season. Off season yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like something has to happen and, that's probably going to mean in my mind that probably means including draft picks because that's how you really get an improvement in talent um which trading draft picks is extremely risky especially you know someone in Sacramento's point of view that constantly are picking in the mid lottery and if you're trading those away you're hoping that you're not it depends on protections and things like that but i think like outside of buddy the deal the sort of package that is intriguing to me is that Marvin is still 11.3 million. Tristan Thompson is 9.7. So right there between the two of them, you have 21 million. If you want to include Davion as an asset, it depends what team is going to value him in what way. That's 4.6 million. You're almost at, you're about 25 million if I'm doing that right, give or take like 1 million there. Um, And then you're including draft picks. Like say you, say it was Marvin Bagley, Tristan Thompson, and a top five, top four protected first rounder for like Jeremy Grant. I don't know if that's enough for Jeremy Grant. Um, it, it very well could not be. I'm probably lowballing and and have purple tinted um, glasses on. But I, I think like that's the sort of deal where you're still keeping buddies shooting around and Tristan and Marvin are, are not having too much of an impact on this team. And But then the risk comes with moving draft picks because if this deal doesn't work and you know, back to your question of where's the number one guy, like the point being that this team still needs more top end talent, another starter level guy. I don't know how much that changes. Um, like at best, you're still kind of looking at a six seed sort of thing and not this year, but like down the line as a ceiling, probably barring outlier growth from Fox Halliburton or whatever guy you may trade for Davion, whatever. Um, so you know, I mean, I, I think the the deal that stands out to me, if you're not including Buddy, is something like Marvin and Tristan combined with draft picks. Um, and I understand if that deal, like, 
needs to be done in a way but at the same time like there is a whole lot of risk involved in in moving draft picks if it does not pay off and then all of a sudden it's three more years down the line of zero progress yeah i will say i think there's another solution to the the number one option and that is that you don't have a number one option that doesn't often work but if you trade for like and i'm just gonna throw this name out there because the name's out there if you trade for a ben simmons and keep deer and fox you know then you've got a couple of guys that can kind of run things yeah, I mean, like a Jeremy Grant, Christian Wood level player, good, you know, 18 and nine a game or whatever those guys average end up averaging. I think that's a that's that's really running the middle ground, right? That's like not committing to fully maximizing this team necessarily because you're not going for an all star level player and you're, of course, not blowing it up either. Um, I think that's an OK path. Monty McNair has kind of like run the middle ground since he took over. He hasn't spent a lot of money, hasn't spent any assets, hasn't gained any assets. I think that's kind of just picking down that same road. Um, it could work. Like if your starting lineup is Deer and Fox, Tyrese Halbert and Harrison Barnes, Jeremy Grant or Christian Wood and Her- Rashawn Holmes, that's a solid lineup. Solves a lot of problems for you. Is it good enough to grow into a real contender? I think you got to you gotta take that. I guess you could take that risk. But yeah, it, it would, a lot of it would to me would depend on draft picks. I would give up a pick. Um, but I don't think that's enough for either of those guys because a lot of teams would give up a pick for those guys. And if I'm giving up a 2022 and a 2024 and an asset, man, that's, that's tough to try to get to the seventh seed this year. I, I, my biggest fear for this trade deadline is Monty McNair unintentionally screwing the next GM because he's trying to save his job. And I mean, that's what you see often in basketball. Like that's a common, that's a common thing that happens in the NBA is a, a GM is in a little bit of trouble. I don't think Monty McNair is in trouble yet. Like I don't think his seat's particularly warm right now. Um, but if his seat is feeling a little warm at the deadline or even at draft night, he makes a big move. It doesn't work out. And now your next GM is, is left dealing with that mess to clean up. Um, in addition to trying to build the team, I mean, the King, we've seen that with the Kings over and over and over and over and over again. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't want to like, I I'm of the opinion that like get rid of this core. I'm done with it, but just, do something and I'm going to be happy because nothing's been done so far. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. Um, yeah. And then the idea is you have money coming off the books next off season that if you were to make a decent run and say you, that McNair does do very well in whatever trade he makes this deadline. And then all of a sudden you're even more appealing with some substantial cap space this off season. I don't have the exact number, um, in, in front of me, I haven't sat and done that math, but you know, then you're able to add another asset there and, and that's where you find some growth if you're trying to look at it through an optimistic, optimistic lens here. But right now, um, you know, there are changes that need to be made to this roster, but at the same time, the effort issues are just absolutely inexcusable. And next game for the Kings is at home against the Lakers on Tuesday here and then they have a back-to-back they go to la and play the clippers the night after um you know i I, no issues if they lose this game against the lakers i think they're expected to um wow sacramento espn has a 61 percent win 61 percent chance that sacramento wins this game i don't know where they are getting that from i guess because we blew them out last time that's the lakers game wow yeah I guess because we blew them out last time must be a big influence. I guess I have no idea. That's I would not put it at a sixty-one percent chance, folks. Please don't. (laughs) No. And point being, like you can lose this game, and it's not horrific or anything like that. But I think that, like, 
if you don't have some sense of pride and in, in substantial effort throughout 45 minutes of this Lakers game, then yeah, I mean, some something is is really wrong. Which I guess we're already at that point. But you know, I'm point being like a trade needs to happen before the deadline. We're not going to see it that soon. Probably, who knows? But more likely than not, it's going to take some time. Like you said, the December fifteenth uh, marker of when a lot of guys this last off season were signed now become available. It's probably around that point before we can like reasonably expect something to happen at any day sort of thing. Um, so right now, in, until some changes are made, like the energy and effort of this team needs to be absolutely different. And hearing the exact same excuses over and over of we just need to be better, we need to try harder is tiring. So, I mean, and then ironically, they do need to be better, I guess is the point. So it's like, if that's what it comes down to, then where are we lacking? And yeah, the, King, the Kings need to need to pick it up. Yeah, it's it's like the guy or girl. I lead people at work in my real job. They don't let me lead people at TKH, don't worry. <laughs> um, but I, I lead people in my in my job at work in my real life. And, you know, you've got the person that, like, is always late or absent or calling out for a different reason every time. And eventually all those excuses just start sounding the same. And you're like, listen, you just don't want to be here. Right. Like that's, that's the end all be all is you don't want to come to work. Um, and that's kind of how I feel about the Kings. Not that they don't want to come to work, but like eventually all that same, those same sound bites from different players. It just, it's, it doesn't sound like anything to me. It's just noise. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't care what they have to say anymore, frankly, just like show me. And if you can't show me, then, then shut that up because I, I don't care that you say we need to be better. Yeah, no shit. You lost by 30 points to a Memphis team losing, missing their one-star player. We know you need to be better. Just be better. Yeah. Next episode of uh, Kings Don't Have a Pulse will come after oh, there you go. Wednesday, that Wednesday game against the That's Clippers. sassy. Uh, yeah. I can't believe I've never made that joke. That's a first, yeah. actually, in almost 300 episodes here. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. I bring out the best in you. Yeah, exactly. It's... <laughs> There we go. Anyone unaware, Tim Maxwell at Sacktown Baby Giraffe on Twitter. Or no, I'm sorry. It's Sacktown Baby Giraffe is the name, but it's at Tim Maxwell 22 on Twitter, right? Yeah, I think I think you can find me either way, right? I don't know how it all works. I've never looked at myself. That's I'm not that conceited. That's I just click on my profile, and then I find all my old tweets that I delete. I don't, I'm just going to delete any old tweets. All, all of my bo- trade bogey for Wigan streets are still out there if you want to go find them. They're still out there. There you there. go. You can yeah, just wait them. till I, we didn't hear TJ Warren once in this episode when it came to trades. I'm a little shocked, but there's, yeah, time. TJ's, there's too, time. TJ's too good for this team. That's all there is. To right, it. right, right. Um, yeah, I think that's going to do it. You know, last thing, um, old co-host Rich Ivanowski reached out <sighs> and decided that he wanted me to let the listeners know that he thinks this is a playoff team. Take that for what you will. Um, I'm not going to expand on that, I guess. You guys can l- let Rich know what she tweeted what Rich. You think about that one. Yeah. Let yeah. So <laughs> that's going to do it for this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. Check out all the work going on at the King's Herald and take a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. That way you get the latest episodes right away when they are published. Leave a rate and review it does a lot it's a lot more than i think people realize 
and you will hear from us again here at King's Pulse in the next couple of days.